Hello, <laughs> and, and welcome to, to Science Unscripted in, uh, in where? If, if I didn't know better, I'd, I'd say that this is a jungle in Uganda. That is what it sounds like. That's what I would have said, too, a jungle in Uganda. And it, I'm, maybe I'm hiding behind a bush, <laughs> and I'm about to scare some chimpanzees with a fake snake. <laughs> if, um, it, if it sounds strange, <laughs> there's logic behind it. The logic is to figure out what chimpanzees are capable of, of, of saying through vocalizations. Listen to the sound that they make when they get scared by said fake snake. <laughs> and now we're going to listen to a guy named Male. Male Leroux. Explain to us what these noises have to do with the study of the evolution of, of meaning and language. Science Unscripted. Hi, so my name is Mel Leroux. Um, I'm a researcher studying primatology and specifically the vocal communication of chimpanzees. So, Mel, we just heard a, a vocalization of a, of a chimpanzee. I'm going to go ahead and play it one more time for, for everyone listening. <gasps> this hua <this>, sound or whatever that was. What is it, Mel, that we all just heard there? So here, this is a combination of two vocalizations, an alarm who combined with a wah bark. So it's a, a, an alarm call that chimpanzee combine as well with a, the wah bark, which is a recruitment call. An alarm call? Yes. Okay. And if I've understood your study, the chimpanzees were alarmed because what, you and some colleagues in, in, in Uganda threw a fake snake at them or something. Can you explain what happened here? Yeah, exactly. So we, um, so it was actually colleagues of mine who in 2011 conducted a snake presentation experiment. So they um, used a dead python, they uh, stuffed a dead python and they presented it to the chimpanzees when they didn't expect it. And the chimpanzees uh, reacted to this fake snake, basically. And... <laughs> And they reacted differently than they know. The, the the sound that they made when they saw the snake was different than the other sounds that they're they're want to making. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the um, the chimpanzees they produce this alarm who when they encounter uh, a low urgency threat. So it can be um, uh, just a dead monkey in the ground when when they are just simply surprised. It can be uh, yeah a random alarm. But when they produce the combination of an alarm who with the wah bark of a recruitment call, then in this case, that means that they encountered what we call a high urgency threat, so specifically a snake. And this threat needs to be uh, accompanied by recruitment from other individuals to help them drive the threat away. So real quick, because one of my goals is that Gabe and I and our listeners by the end of this can speak chimpanzee a little bit. The, the normal alarm, if I find a dead monkey or a, a dead chimpanzee, would sound like what exactly? It's exactly the same than the, the vocalization uh, present in the combination. They just produce it in isolation, just the alarm call, without the recruitment part at the end. Without the bark. Okay, so if it's just, if it's just an it's alarm... Just the who. Yeah, 
There's the yeah, exactly, exactly. It's just a single who that they produce when they are scared or surprised. But it can be anything. It can be a, a snake, but just a snake that they see randomly, or like a dead monkey they didn't expect to be there, or an antelope even passing by. And when they combine the this call with the wabark, so the recruitment call, in this case, they are basically saying there is a threat that I need your help with. I'm going to get my technician to play it one more time here. Can we hear that bark, that who bark again? <laughs> so, so it's, it's it, the who is the watch out, there's something going, and the hua is, is like, I need your help. Exactly, yeah, exactly. All right. What, what, what led to this study? Um, so I'm studying... My main focus is to try and uh, disentangle the evolutionary origins of language. And one key component of language is our capacity to combine words into phrases. So it's, it's our syntax. And so I'm trying to investigate whether chimpanzees do also have this kind of layer of, of complexity in their uh, communication. And if they do, then we can say that this syntactic layer of our language is not uh, something that is unique to our species, uh, something that we think uh, is unique to our species for a very long time. But actually, it wouldn't be if chimpanzees have syntax or have like these rudimentary forms of syntax. That means that uh, it is evolutionarily more ancient and, and that the basic capacity to combine uh, these meaningful sounds, so these word kind of units uh, is, yeah, more ancient. So to be clear, this would be the difference between an animal saying something like snake, which is a noun, it's a thing, versus an yeah. animal saying, I need help with this snake, basically. That would be the, the critical second part of the vocalization, the sentence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That would be it. I would say, though, that um, it might be just, you know, imperative. So it might be just danger versus danger, come and help. More like an order, let's say, an imperative. So watch out for the alarm call and then come, come here for the recruitment call. And how did you guys decipher that the the second bark was a recruitment call? Where, where, where did you find the yeah. syntax in that noise? So um, we know that chimpanzees produce these barks uh, in different situations. So it can be when they are fighting each other or when they are trying to hunt a monkey, for example. And they produce these barks, and it has been shown lately, uh, very recently actually, that uh, when they produce these barks, for example, in a hunt, other individuals are joining the individual that produced this bark, and that makes the hunt more successful. So we know it's kind of a recruitment call because of that. This is not the most important question, but I'm really left wondering, this whole stuffed python suddenly, uh, suddenly appearing before the chimpanzees, I mean, obviously you want... You want it to come out of nowhere from their perspective. You want them to be surprised. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think you want them to see the people, the humans, putting it there. So it, yeah. I, don't, I, I feel like I would have gone for a, a catapult. Maybe you catapult the stuffed python out there for him. <laughs> How exactly did you do it, Mail? Did you hide behind a bush and throw a <laughs> python out there? <laughs> <laughs> so we... <laughs> my God. 
we definitely did not catapult the snake. I mean, it wouldn't even be realistic, so I don't even know what they would do with that. No, what we did uh, was exactly what you mentioned. So we hide behind the bush. So we had one researcher following the chimpanzee traveling and then coordinating with another one just ahead of its predicted path, so the way, um, uh, like the direction of its traveling. And this researcher ahead hide the snake under leaves and then tied a, a fishing line on the, on the head of the snake. So then it would move away from the location of the snake, hiding itself, uh, themselves, in, like behind some bushes, and then pull the, the string, the fishing line. And so that would make the snake move. When, once the chimpanzee would reach the snake, they would make the snake move uh, this way and uncover the snake so it would come out of the leaves of, of its hidden place and then the chimps would see it without seeing the human behind it. I don't know why this is so funny to me. Um, <laughs> the, the idea of pranking chimpanzees. I was going to ask, what's next? You're gonna, like, you know that trick where you put a bucket of water over a door frame and it dumps on their heads and you just see, see what happens? I guess, what other, any, any other pranks we can pull on chimps for, for the purpose of science? Um, well, I guess you could imagine any kind of pranks. The The only thing you need to be very careful is if you pull these kind of pranks, you need to be sure that it will not disrupt their natural behaviors, their natural um, uh, interaction with each other. And you can't stress them too much because yeah. obviously you have a, a duty, an ethical duty not to mess too much with these populations especially we're talking here with like wild populations so we have a we need to be very careful with what we're doing and and these are very controlled experiments and yeah that was my next question did you ever feel bad did you ever feel bad for the chimpanzees what you're doing to them um no i don't know because well first of all they they see snake every day like not every day but very it's a regular thing especially like there is kind of a snake season and some some month they see one snake a week basically so we we were careful not to exceed this kind of rate of seeing a snake um and also, I mean, they, it's, it's part of their natural behavior. Seeing snake in the forest is, is very common thing. Um, and, and yeah, we also make sure that there were no long-term effects. So we made sure that they were not stressed too much after, after moving on. And, and, and when they kept traveling, uh, we made sure that they weren't stressed about anything else after that and, and that they went back to their baseline behavior. So no, not too bad. <laughs> Basically, I'm just wondering for someone who whose overall goal was to understand the evolution of language. Back when you were a student, did you ever imagine that you would be hiding behind a bush in Uganda throwing snakes at, at chimpanzees? <laughs> Uh, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. I actually started my whole career with cheetahs and, and cheetah vocalizations. So I, I wasn't even like set up on primates at all. Um, and I also didn't like, I expected to do like in the study, we also conducted playback experiments to really show that they really understood these vocalizations. So we were playing uh, these vocalization to them uh, through a loudspeaker and to see how they reacted. I think that I could see myself doing, but definitely presenting a snake <laughs> to the to the chimpanzee wasn't something that I I thought I would be doing. But I I totally enjoyed it. It's it's very interesting. I remember reading that chimpanzees don't have the ability 
to basically come back to the to the group and tell them anything. So like if a chimpanzee has gone somewhere and saw a, a flying saucer or saw, saw something miraculous, <laughs> something unbelievable yeah. that you or I, we would go back to our friends and be like, oh my God, you would not believe what I just saw. That they, it like it wouldn't even occur to them to try to repeat that information because I guess, is, is that a linguistic um, uh, fault or a lack of... Inadequacy? In, yeah, linguistic in, inadequacy or is it is is it in their brain they just don't have those i don't those neurons yeah what's going on then um so i think it's probably because they don't need it that they actually didn't evolve the capacity to do it uh and i'm thinking it's so what you're talking about is is again cycling back to what we were saying before i think they don't have to use necessarily declarative so they don't have to describe something they just see they probably most of the time have to say come here or there is food or I am here or snake or danger and and they rarely need to describe whatever they're seeing because they can either show it to the other so maybe actually there is uh, work in the gesture domain that shows that they use gestures to point and to show uh, some items to someone so they could definitely use this kind of communication to 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 do the thing you're saying uh, my my guess is that they don't actually need to 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 really well communicate about these things because they never saw a giant saucer basically yeah i don't i don't know yeah and that was male laroe who is usually based in paris doing his research and who was talking to us from an island a french island in the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. I, I would there was a question that I asked Mail that didn't include didn't get included in that cut. Um, I'd like to know what my dog's thinking. I really truly would. And if we got there someday, especially maybe with the help of AI, being able to decode some of the sounds that animals make and, and read the semantics out, that'd be awesome. I don't think it's naive to believe we are going there and that dog vocalizations, other animal vocalizations will soon be translatable soon as relative mm. into something more understandable for us and that'll that'll be beautiful absolutely beautiful if you have any other questions comments anything to say about chimpanzees snakes or anything that we have been talking about animal wise recently we are su at dw.com mm.